You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Every year, every summer, you would get either a letter in the mail or, or depending on how old you are, you get an email from the teacher and you would get the school supply list. You know what I'm talking about, right? We hated getting the school supply list. It was just like the death knell of our summer. You know, it was just like, and now it begins. And so you get a list and you go to the store and you got pens, check, all right? I don't care what pens we have. Highlighters, check, you know? And then you got to like pay the teacher tax, you know? Not only do you buy yourself pens, but you have to buy 10% of the pens and give them to your teacher as tribute, you know what I mean? Because you would inevitably lose your pens. And so you get all these things. You get your book bag. That was a big one. What book bag will I have this year? How many of you have multiple siblings and you just get whatever book bag your sibling had the year before? I know how it works. I had all sisters. So I got to have my own book bag every year, you know. But you get the school supplies. But there was one. There was one thing on the list that I don't care. Like my mom could pick so many things. My dad can give me whatever pens he wants. But there was one thing on the list that I wanted to choose for myself, and it was my notebook. You, you know what I'm talking about? The notebook was special, right? How many of you had the marble notebook? Black and white, looked like a cow, remember? Marble notebook, or you see, when I, was, when I was coming of age, they started to get really fancy with it, and they get Iron Man composition notebooks. Those are big choices. Am I going with Iron Man or Pikachu? Come on now, folks. Am I choosing Marvel or DC? What will I have on my notebook? You see, the notebook was the thing. That was the tool that you were going to have the entire semester. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where the learning would take place. I see some teachers drooling right now, right? Like, you just, you're a sucker for a good notebook story. I see it. I get it. This is where I would learn. This is where I would capture lesson upon lesson. This was the single most important difference on whether or not I would pass or fail third grade. Right? My mom tried to tell me, you just love it so much, they want you to do it again. You know, like, they just really, really like you, Sam. Right? I don't feel like this is right. And so, you know, throughout the year, your teacher, she would call you to her desk. And she would say, bring your notebook. And so they'd grab your notebook, and they would just thumb through it. Remember this? And they would just look through your notebook. What are you learning? What do your notes look like? What are you writing? And that was the moment of truth, right? She would discover whether or not I had been taking notes or drawing Pokemon. I don't know. What's in your notebook? What lessons have you captured? What are you learning? Today we're going back, not to school, friends, but it's similar. You see, Jesus... Jesus has invited 12 dudes into what amounts to to an an immersive internship. He has just accepted 12 pupils into the school of this rabbi, and everywhere they go, they are capturing notes. And this morning, we're going to peek at their notebook. This morning, Jesus calls his 12 students, and friends, class is in session. Class is in session. So you guys have your pens? Check. Notebooks? Check. Are you sitting up? Leaning forward? Are we ready for this, pupils? Here we go. We're going to see what God is teaching these men, what God is teaching us. And let's take good notes. Because what he teaches us today is going to change your life. 
the lessons he teaches us today will leave you, they will have you leaving here different than how you came in. And so let's check it out. Let's see what God's word is for East Point Church. Mark chapter 8, we're going to begin in verse 1. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. Let's pause our story there. Anybody having deja vu? You're like, I, wait a minute, I, bread and fish, loaves, the basket. Sam, didn't you stand up here with the basket? Right? We're having deja vu in a desolate place, friends. Didn't we already see this? And, and correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't it 5,000, not, not 4,000? We just saw this in chapter 6. Yes, you're not going crazy. If you flip the page, we just saw this in chapter 6. But there are enough differences here that alert us. Hey, 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 this is a different episode. This is a different story. And don't forget, we're in a different country. And so why would Mark, who is usually so to the point, why would Mark, who is usually so quick to just get to the action, right, why would Mark be taking time and space to include a miracle that we've already seen? That's curious. Why would Mark, who's usually just so, just like, hey, quick, moving on, moving on, why would he double up on a miracle here? What that tells me is that we better lean in. We better not just gloss over this and go, oh, I already know this story. Because he must be making a point here that he didn't make there. The repetition is intentional. He wants to highlight a few things for us, all right? So get your notebooks ready, friends. Get the notebooks ready. And so we read this story, and Mark, he gives us such painstaking detail. And he leaves us wondering, wait a minute, this is not just similar. This is nearly the exact same situation, right? We saw great crowds in a desolate place. They're hungry. We got fish and loaves. He breaks them. They have leftovers. He sends them away, right? This is nearly identical. But what catches our attention is not just how similar the circumstances are. It's how the disciples don't seem to notice. 
What catches our attention is not just that these are nearly identical situations, it's how little the disciples seem to notice. They genuinely don't seem to realize that they've been in this situation before. And so did you hear their question? What did they say to Jesus? How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Like, Jesus, you, you want to feed thousands of people out here in the wilderness with only bread and fish? How, how could that even be possible? How could we possibly feed this many people with all the little bit that we have? Now, I know I can be forgetful. All right, how many of you would say you have a good memory? Decent? Okay, how many of you would say, man, I can't even remember the question you asked three seconds ago. All right, see? So you get it, right? Like, we, we can't be judgmental here. We know we may not have the best memories, but guys, come on, right? Like, 5,000 people, not people, men, 5,000 men, which means their families were even larger. So maybe 10,000 people. Baskets, I mean, you had 12 left over. You all walked away holding a basket of leftovers. Hello, is this ringing a bell, disciples? How could we possibly do this? You see, friends, this question, this, this shocking and surprising question is not reflective of their memory. It's reflective of their understanding. What we are seeing here is not a poor memory. It's not the disciples' memory. What we are seeing is a poor understanding. They have yet to fully grasp who it is they're following. In this question, we realize that the disciples have yet to fully comprehend exactly who Jesus is and then internalize it to the point that they can respond to every situation in light of this truth that they know about Jesus. They don't get it yet. And Jesus knows. Jesus has looked through their notebook. <laughs> he has seen the doodles. He knows just how far they have yet to come. And so what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do? He gets things started with a huddle. He called his disciples to him. He realizes, he knows that the disciples don't fully get it. And so he calls his students to the front of the class. And he goes, hey, bring your notebooks with you because class is in session. He calls them to himself. He goes, I want to teach you something. This is important to note because sometimes in the book of Mark, the disciples are kind of just like passive observers while Jesus does his thing, right? They're just in the background and Jesus is in the foreground. But in this passage, he's bringing the disciples to the foreground. He's bringing them to the front because he wants to teach them something and they're going to learn it right here. And so as we go through this, notice the disciples, they're not assisting the miracle as much as the miracle is assisting them and their understanding. They are about to learn something. Friends, in this miracle, Jesus is about to lift the veil some and increase their understanding of who he is and what this is all about. So he calls them forward. And as they come, they may not realize it, but they have just stepped into an interactive classroom and classes in session. Friends, Jesus is calling you to himself this morning. Will you come with the posture of a student? Jesus is inviting you into this interactive classroom. He calls you to him. He says, I want to teach you something. Are you here this morning with expectation? Are you sitting up? Are you leaning forward? Are your pens out? 
are you, do you realize that when we open up this book, that Jesus can teach us something? Would you guys like to learn something? Would you guys like to see what the disciples are going to write in their student notebooks? Today, we're going to see three things. Three things that Jesus wants them to understand. Three things that Jesus wants us to understand. Today, we are going to learn, number one, the heart of the shepherd. Number two, the reach of the shepherd. And then number three, the approach to the shepherd. Are you guys ready? Class is in session, friends. You got your pupil hats on? Trick question. Pupils don't wear hats. It's rude. Here we go. Look what he says. He calls them to himself, and the first thing he says is this. I have compassion on the crowd. He sees these thousands of people around him, and he's tuned in. He shows this tremendous amount of thoughtfulness and concern as he explains the dilemma to his disciples. He says, hey, listen, they've been with me for three days. They have been sitting at my feet, filling their minds with knowledge, but their bellies are empty. And I care about that. He goes, I don't want to send them home. I can't just ring the bell and dismiss them because they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. See, he gets their needs. He's moved to compassion by their needs. And his compassion moves him to action. We can read between the lines. He goes, I'm not going to send them away hungry. That's not how I roll. I'm not going to send them away hungry. And so disciples, bring it in, bring it in, bring it in. I want you guys to open up your lunch pails. How many loaves do you have? What are we going to do? Come on, open up your lunch boxes. What do we got here? I'm going to do something about this. My compassion moves me to action. How many loaves do you have? You see, when Jesus sees needy people, he feels a sense of responsibility for them. Friends, these are people that others would point at and say, not my problem. But Jesus points and he goes, those are my people. This is Jesus. Jesus is never a callous observer of your pain, friends. Wherever you are right now, whatever your story, whatever your needs, Jesus feels anguish when you are in anguish. Jesus sees your situation and he's moved to compassion. Jesus is never too busy to be bothered by the likes of you. He's not ignorant of your needs. He cares. Friends, this is our Savior. He is concerned for you. He has concerned himself. And other people in your life might look at you and roll their eyes and go, it's not my problem. Good luck with that. Not my problem. Jesus moves near to you and he says, that's my people. You're my people. And so what does he do? He looks at the crowd and he goes, those are my people. And so he, he directs the crowd to sit down on the ground. He takes the seven loaves and he breaks them. He raises his eyes to heaven and he thanks the Father. Thank you for provision. And I imagine the disciples going, you're thanking him for seven loaves? What are you talking about here, right? No, thank you, Father, for you have given us everything we need. And he starts breaking it. And he puts it back in the hands of the disciples. And the disciples are instructed to feed the people. And so they're going out, right? And they're just handing out the breadsticks. It's like Olive Garden, just all you can eat, endless supply, boom, boom, boom. And Jesus is just sitting back with compassion, looking at the crowd. And he goes, you know what? Maybe we should give them a better diet than this. Carbs, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not great. 
they say these days, right? And so maybe instead of just straight carbs, what if we give them some protein? You guys got any fish? Yeah, we have a few fish. He goes, that's great. Also high in omegas. We'll get some fat and protein. Boom. Raises his eyes to heaven, starts cutting up the fish, and he gives it to the people. It's not my problem. Jesus says, no, they're my people. And it says that by the time he was done, that they all got a sample of bread and fish. No, it doesn't say that. It says by the time they were done, they all had a nice little appetizer to tide them over until they can get back and take care of their own dinner plans, right? No. Well, it says that Jesus gave them all a Costco-sized sample so that way they could just, you know, have a nice little token affection from Jesus. No. It says they ate so much that they got the itis. Oh, you guys don't know what the itis is? Oh, man, the itis is like on Thanksgiving when you eat so much food and you just get that look in your eye. And you're like, I can't imagine ever eating again. You got the itis, right? It says, no, they ate and they were satisfied. They were hungry. They were starving. But because they came close to Jesus, they were satisfied. I want you to imagine you're out on a walk in the, in the countryside over here. And you're walking, and you, and you crest the first hill. You're just going on a walk, a little Sunday leisurely walk. And you crest the first hill, and you see a shepherd with 12 sheep. <laughs> right? And you're like, oh, hey, shepherd, how you doing? Good day to be out here on the pasture, right? Keep walking. You crest the second hill. You come over, and you see a shepherd with hundreds of sheep. And they're underfoot, and, they're, and he's taking them out to pasture. <laughs> and you're like, whoa, that shepherd's doing his thing, right? Wow, I see a shepherd. Keep walking. You crest the third hill, and you see another shepherd, this time with thousands of those people sitting on the floor? Is that shepherd feeding humans? You go home and, and your spouse says, how was your walk, hubby? Right? And you say, well, it was cool. I mean, I saw three shepherds out there today, but the third one was the most bizarre because he wasn't feeding sheep. He was feeding people. Friends, you see, in this scene, Jesus is revealing that he came as a shepherd. And the first lesson that we see here this morning is that the heart of the shepherd cares for his sheep. The heart of the shepherd cares for his sheep. What shepherd would let their sheep wander away hungry and say, good luck with that? Friends, Jesus is a shepherd. And his heart is filled with care and concern and compassion. And so when he sees them, he makes them sit down in green pastures and he feeds them. And as he does, as this shepherd is out there with thousands of people, the veil lifts a little bit more. And we realize that what we are witnessing here is the shepherd of Psalm 23, where David wrote, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me sit down on the ground in green pastures. He feeds me breadsticks and fish sticks in green pastures. Friends, what we are seeing here in Mark chapter 8 is the shepherd of Psalm 23. And who's the shepherd of Psalm 23? It's the Lord. This is God in the flesh doing what the psalmist said he has been doing since the beginning of time. All who come to this shepherd shall not want. All who come to this shepherd shall not hunger. All who come to the Lord, Jesus, 
will be satisfied because the heart of the shepherd cares for his sheep. Class is in session, friends. Write that down. The heart of the shepherd cares for his sheep. And so they, he dismisses the crowd, filling their minds and their bellies, and it says that he got into the boat with his disciples. And I just imagine as he pushes away from the shores, as the disciples are sitting there comparing, what was the third word? I didn't get the blank. And what did you write? As they're sitting there comparing notes, you just can't help but wonder in the boat, why did Jesus teach them this lesson? What was it about this lesson, about the shepherd, that was worth repeating? Like, why was this lesson so important for the disciples that if you go back and compare your notes from a couple weeks ago, it's the same point. It's because these people in the boat, these disciples who were going across the lake with him, these are the very people to whom Jesus would one day entrust his sheep. These are the people that Jesus would call to oversee the flock. And before he gives the keys to them, they need to get this lesson in their skulls. I love my sheep. Lead like me. I approach my people with compassion. Lead like me. I never see the people and say, not my problem. Lead like me. So they're taking, they're taking notes, and they're comparing it in the boat. And one guy wrote something unique on there. They go, whoa, I didn't even catch that part of the lesson. He goes, you didn't catch it? How many loaves of bread did we start with? How many? Seven. Excellent comprehension skills. How much did we end with? How much was left over? Seven, not seven loaves, seven, seven baskets. They end with the same number, but exponentially more than what they started with. The source of their ministrations wasn't what they brought to the table. It was what they received from the Lord. Because they handed what they had to Jesus, he touches it and he breaks it, and it is more than enough. And the lesson is clear. When those who lead God's people rely on God's power, they will do exponentially more toward God's purposes. When those who lead God's people rely on God's provision and power, they will accomplish exponentially more toward God's purposes. And Jesus is saying, write that down. I want you to know this. So there's another lesson to be gleaned from this scene. Not only does Jesus show them the heart of the shepherd, he shows them the reach of the shepherd. Look in your Bibles. What are the first words? What are the first words of Mark chapter 8? Did you notice it? Let's look at it together. It says, in those days. Where is Jesus in these days? If you're just tuning in here to our series, the last two weeks, Jesus has been abroad. Jesus, who has spent most of his ministry career right here in just a few square miles in Galilee, two weeks ago, he, has, he left and he went to Tyre and Sidon, and then last week he looped it around here, ended up in the Decapolis. Jesus is outside of Israel, and the first words of chapter 8 show us he's still abroad. This is the third week in a row. In those days, 
when he's in Gentile country. In those days, when he was hanging out with the pagans, in those days, when he was far from home, among those who are far from God, among people who don't know God, people who can't quote a single verse, people who didn't grow up knowing the promises of God, in those days, this happened. And so, yes, we saw him feed 5,000 men, but that was in Israel. He just fed 4,000 people in pagan country. These people are far from God. And light bulb, we just realized how important this scene is in the Bible. Because those who are far from God have just experienced the care of God as shepherd. Those who are far from God just got to experience Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. People who are traditionally far from God, even Gentile pagans, were just fed as if they belonged to the flock. And as we watch them eat, as we watch God satisfy them, we realize that this shepherd's flock is much larger than we thought. Because the shepherd's compassion reaches those far from God. Lift the veil, friends. Because of what Jesus is doing, even those kinds of people get to experience, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Even people who are as far from deserving as possible, they get to experience the compassion of the shepherd. You get to experience the fold of the flock. Because of Jesus, even of those kinds of people, it will be said, and they were satisfied. Their souls are satisfied. See, not only is he a compassionate shepherd, But his compassion reaches further than any of us thought possible so that we can come regardless of our backgrounds, regardless of our resumes, regardless of our mistakes and our track record, regardless of the hand that we have been dealt in life, all who come to him will be satisfied and experience the care of the shepherd. The shepherd's compassion reaches those far from God. And the disciples, they're writing it down, and they go, excuse me, Jesus, is this going to be on the final? Is this as important as the previous point? Like, if I had to memorize one, which one should I memorize? And Jesus said, it will absolutely be on the final. Because in a few short years, I'm going to be sending you to those who are far from God. You see, their ministry would start in Israel, but it wouldn't end in Israel. These men would be commissioned to go to the furthest reaches of the globe, and they're going to come in contact with those people. They're going to come in contact with people, and they're going to go, them? You're sending me to to them? They're going to have to get back out their notebooks and go, oh yeah, the shepherd's compassion reaches those who are far from God. Hey, let me tell you about Jesus. See, friends, we are going to be sent, maybe not to the furthest reaches of the globe, but we are called to go to the furthest reaches of the social stratosphere. You see, the gospel is uniquely attractive, not to the wise, mighty, and noble, no, 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 to the low and despised of this world. 
There are more people per capita in the kingdom of God who have been rejected and spit on and eye-rolled at from this world's perspective. Why? Because who else knows their need for a shepherd more? And so get ready, Christian. Get ready, church, because the people that the gospel will be attractive to are those that the world have already rejected and said, you're useless to me. You don't fit in here. And he sends us to go, you fit in here, in the flock. You fit in right here, in the fold, because the compassion of the shepherd reaches far. Man, there are people that others go, them? And God looks at those same people, and he says, mine. Friends, do you think that you are too far? Are you here this morning and you go, man, Sam, you just don't know my story. You don't, you don't know how far I've gone. You don't know how many lines I've crossed. I know all about the flock. I grew up in this church movement. I get it, but you don't get me. And friends, with every ounce of sincerity that I can muster, I tell you that as far as you think you are, his compassion reaches further. As low as you think you are, his fountain of mercy is deeper. As great as you think your sin is, his grace is greater. And he invites you to come. Come to the shepherd. And may it be said of you, she was satisfied. May it be said of you, he came to Jesus and he ate. And he got the spiritual itis. Because he is so full and satisfied. The shepherd's compassion reaches those who are far from God. And so before we put away our notebooks, there's one final lesson that comes, and, and this actually happens on the other side of the lake. So he's in the boat with his disciples. He pushes away. He goes to the other side of the lake. And so we've seen the shepherd. We've seen the heart of the shepherd. Check. We've seen the reach of this shepherd. Check. And now on the other side of the lake, we learn the approach to this shepherd. Let's look at the last three verses. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. We just spent the last three weeks, including today, we've just spent the last three weeks abroad among those who are far from God. We've just spent the last three weeks seeing people who we would never expect to respond positively to Jesus being receptive to his ministry and coming in faith. We just spent three weeks learning that there is faith even far from home. And now we come back close to home. Come back to our people. People who get it. People who grew up in the faith. And we're shocked back to reality by this scene. And we learn, friends, the painful irony in the book of Mark that even those close to home can have hearts far from God. What? We just spent three weeks in pagan country and Jesus was just going viral. 
We spent three weeks in pagan country, and people are coming to him in faith. And now we get back to our shores. We get back to the church people here, and we're confronted by a group of Pharisees. And they begin to argue with him. Right? And it says here that the, the source of their argument is they, they are seeking a sign from heaven. Okay? This is not a genuine request for affirmation. Excuse me, Jesus. I was just wondering if maybe you could authenticate your identity with a well-timed miracle. And I'm just struggling a little bit with doubt. But if you just give me a sign from heaven, then we'll know that you're truly the Messiah. Thank you very much. No, no, no. No, they're arguing, friends. This is not a genuine request. They're not curious about the source of his identity. They're challenging it. That's who you think you are? Prove it. So you, oh, Savior of God, prove it. Come on, show us a sign right now. Come on, call down fire from heaven. Hey, come on, just, hey, where's your staff, Moses? Why don't you turn it into a snake again? Do you get it? Jesus' disciples are like students in a classroom. But here, we see the Pharisees, they don't come with the posture of a student. Instead, these pupils have confused themselves with a the professor. They come to Jesus and they administer a test to him. It may have been a long time since you've been in school, friend. But if you're coming into class and you're giving the teacher tests, you might have forgotten how things work here. If you come to God and you're the one dishing out the tests, you might have forgotten who the teacher is. Do you see the irony? Do you see the warning that's in this text? Those who are far from God and raw have responded better than Jesus' own people who are close to home. Those in Gentile country were receptive to Jesus, and so they got to see who he is. And yet these people who should have known better are blind to who he is. They don't get it. And so I said this last week, right? We don't worship in an environment where insider Jew and outsider Gentile, this is not our reality, okay? Like if you were to be there in the first century church, you would see the prejudice that existed. I'm a Jewish believer of Jesus. Well, I'm a Gentile believer. And they just, man, like most of the New Testament was actually written to the inherent racism in the people, not of the culture, but of the church, and so that would be a very strong dynamic at play. And so we don't necessarily, we don't, we don't get this. But we do have something similar, right? We may not be Jews who grew up in synagogue, but we know what it's like to be church people and non-church people, right? How many of you grew up in the faith? You grew up learning the scriptures, learning church? All right, cool. What a, thank you, Lord, right? What a blessing for that. How many of you grew up and you're like, yep, I did not grow up this way. I did not grow up, yeah, wow, right? Ooh. That's what it would be like, right? We understand this dynamic of insider, outsider. Yeah, I get how things work. I don't get how things work. I remember I met a gentleman last year, and he met me at the door, and he goes, hey, this is my first time being in church in like over a decade. Can you just make sure I know when to kneel and when to stand and when to sit, you know? I was like, bro, we actually have teleprompters up there giving you the cue, laugh cues, the everything. It's going to be easy, right? He was so confused. I never told him I was joking. He never came back. Oh, man. No, I'm kidding, right? It's just like, and he said, he goes, man, you're lucky you meet in a YMCA. I said, why is that? He goes, because if there was a steeple, this whole thing would get struck by lightning. Right? That's a person who goes, dude, I'm far. I'm far. But here's the warning, church people. May the Lord keep our hearts 
from presumption. May we not be like the Pharisees, the very people who should get it the most, the very people who grew up in the faith are the most blind and their hearts are the most hard because we start to put our confidence in things that we shouldn't. And we start to put our confidence on, well, I, I know the Bible. I've read it so many times as a kid. Oh yeah, like Jesus was like, he was like my uncle. Like I had him over at dinner growing up. Like I'm so in that it's not even funny, right? And we start to put our confidence on what we know and the experiences that we've had. And we forget what these people automatically know, that none of us are good enough. May the Lord keep our hearts from presumption. May we must watch our hearts, friend, because even those close to home can have hearts that are far from God. And so how does Jesus respond to this response? <sighs> he sighs deeply. In the deepest parts of his spirit, in his heart of hearts, he aches over the hard-heartedness of these people. And you hear his exasperation. You hear his deep frustration when he asks the question that every parent of toddler asks at least once a day. Why? Right, why would you think this was a good idea? Right? Like, what is wrong with you, tiny human? He says, why? Why are you like this? And then he uses a word that is so interesting to me. He says, why does this generation? He's not calling out a few individual Pharisees. He doesn't just say, hey, you three have a real problem with your spiritual hearts. No, no, no. He uses the word generation, and that word reminds us of Moses, who led people that were so hard-hearted that an entire generation failed to see the promised land. And so here we're reminded that those same people that Moses led— their descendants are here, and they're alive and well, and they're doing it yet again in the form of the religious establishment. He is a prophet diagnosing the hard-heartedness that permeates this entire scene, this entire people, this entire generation. Not just a few individuals, but a generation. And so his response is clear. He says, no sign will be given and he left them. No sign will be given. They won't get any more signs because the problem isn't a lack of signposts. It's a heart that refuses to read the signposts. The problem is not a lack of miracles. The problem is not a lack of authentication. The problem is a hard heart and spiritually blind eyes that refuses to read the signs. In Matthew, he elaborates, and he goes, hey, when it's cloudy, you know it's going to rain. When it's sunny, you know it's going to be a good day. When I'm doing my thing, you're clueless as to what these signs mean. No more signs. You're cut off. He's being attacked by people, not with curious minds, but with hard hearts and blind eyes. And so we've seen Jesus repeatedly in the book of Mark. He responds to faith. He moves toward faith. He gives people what they need when they come in faith. But now we see how he responds to the opposite. Those who come in humble faith 
or receive from Jesus. But those who come with arrogant demands and doubt are sent away empty-handed. And the story ends there. And the question is hanging in the air. How will you respond? How will you come to the shepherd? Will you come with the posture of a student in faith, in humility, believing in this shepherd? Or will you come like the Pharisees? And Mark is being so clear to us this morning. He's screaming to us, come to the shepherd. Come to the shepherd. Number one, the shepherd's heart is full of love and compassion. Do you need somebody to shepherd your soul this morning? Are you very aware of the God-sized hole in your heart? Do you feel like sheep without a shepherd? Come to the man who is filled with compassion. Come to the shepherd. Number two, we see the reach of the shepherd. You think you're too far? Have you crossed too many lines? Have you gone too far away to be reached by this shepherd? Mark says, no, come to the shepherd whose compassion reaches further. And then number three, we see the approach to the shepherd. Come to the shepherd, but come in faith. Come to the shepherd with a humble awareness of just how much you need what he is offering. Come to the shepherd with a humble faith that says, I know I don't deserve it, but I believe, I dare to believe that you would bring me into the flock anyway. Come to the shepherd. Come to the shepherd for church. And you will be satisfied. And here's how we're going to respond this morning. I want you to imagine that you're the disciples and you're sitting there in the pasture and you see Jesus break the bread, look up to heaven, give thanks, and then hand it to you. You've had it twice now, all right? Twice now you have seen Jesus break the bread, look to heaven, thank you, Lord and hand it to you and put it in your hands. Now, if that's you and you're sitting at the last supper on the night before Jesus was betrayed and you see your friend break the bread, look to heaven and hand it to you, there should be some light bulbs going off, right? It's like, fool me once, fool me twice, get it. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread, he looked to heaven, and he gave it to the disciples. And the veil was removed. They got it. They got it on Good Friday because they just realized that what Jesus did in Mark 6, what Jesus did in Mark 8, was just a small picture of what he would do for humanity. You see, Jesus in Mark 8, he fed 4,000 people with bread, but what he did on Good Friday, he fed thousands and thousands and thousands across the globe, not with bread, not with fish, but with his life. And so on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He took the cup and he poured it, and he said, this is the extent that I'm going to, to bring you into the flock. Friends, you thought Jesus had compassion when he fed 4,000 people? You haven't seen anything yet. You thought this man was nice because he fed some hungry people in a crowd? 
You thought he was nice because he was willing to inconvenience himself with some food? You haven't seen anything yet. Wait till Good Friday when we see just how far this man will go, not just to feed the sheep, but to save the sheep and to make you his. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the price you paid to save the sheep. Lord, we come to the shepherd this morning in faith believing that your body broken and your blood spilled is enough to save us. So Lord, give us grace this morning. Give us grace as we do this in remembrance of you and as we continue to do this until the day that you come back. We love you, Lord. You are our shepherd and we shall not want. We pray this in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Let's partake together. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.